الحمدللہ الحمدللہ كانتا تحت عبدين من عبادنا صالحين فخانتاهما فلم يغنيا عنهما من الله شيئا وقيل ادخلا النار مع الداخلين صدق الله العظيم Most respected mothers and sisters In the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala has mentioned many women, though not directly, the only woman that was directly mentioned by name was Hazrat Maryam radiallahu ta'ala anha. But several women have been mentioned by reference. Some women have been referenced on a negative note. And there have been some that have been referenced on a positive note. All these lessons are in the Quran Sharif. These are not just historical incidents for the sake of some kind of history lesson, which is then perhaps studied for the exams. And once the exams are over, the person two days later doesn't remember what he wrote. And life carries on. These are lessons for life. The Quran Sharif discusses the incidents of the past to give us a direction that if we wish to keep ourselves protected from the destruction that others met, then we will have to avoid what they got themselves involved in. If we want to progress and prosper and we want to be reaching the heights that Others reached who are mentioned in the Quran Sharif will have to follow in their footsteps and move forward in that direction. So all these lessons and messages are in the Quran Sharif. The Quran Sharif is a book of Hidayat. Allah Ta'ala has declared these things in the Quran Sharif very, very clearly so that we may take the lesson, we may implement the lesson. Everything in the Quran Sharif is for us. It is not for somebody else. The Quran Sharif may speak sometimes about the Yahud, sometimes about the Nasara, sometimes about the mushrikeen, sometimes about the nations of those Anbiya Ali Wasalam, those nations of the Anbiya Ali Wasalam that were destroyed, and those nations that progressed and prospered, who got saved, who got destroyed, all this is in the Quran Sharif for our lesson, not for anybody else. That we want to prosper and progress, we'll have to follow the footsteps of those who prospered. And those who got destroyed, we will have to avoid what they did. So in this regard, there are two particular women that are referenced in the Quran Sharif, one on a very negative note. The wife of a Nabi of Allah, wa ta'ala, but she has been referenced on a negative note. And another wife of a Nabi of Allah, ta'ala, of a different Nabi of Allah, ta'ala, she has been referenced very positively. So both have lessons for us, and this is what we will briefly discuss in this time that we have. 
the Nabi of Allah Taala, whose wife was referenced negatively in the Quran Sharif, Allah Taala mentions this. وَضَرَبَ اللَّهُ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مْرَأَةَ نُوحٍ وَمْرَأَةَ لُوطٍ Allah Taala is saying that Allah Taala gives the example of the of those who disbelieved, and among them is the wife of Nuh and the wife of Hazrat Salam. And this reference now is for those who didn't do what they're supposed to do, that there's the example of what happened to these people. On the one hand, they had such a tremendous opportunity that they were in the household of a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. And being in the household of a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala, this was the ideal opportunity to excel. But they did not take this opportunity and rather went the opposite direction. So despite being in the household of a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala, they also met the destruction. So the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala and those who followed him, they were saved. But that very wife who was part of his household got destroyed. And then there's another wife of a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala, the wife of Sayyidina Hazrat Ayyub Ali Salatu Wasalam. She is also referenced at some point in the Quran Sharif, but on a very positive note. What was the marked difference between the two? In the case of Hazrat Ali Salatu Wasalam, who we will just discuss briefly just now, Allah Ta'ala mentions regarding her, and simultaneously the wife of Nuh alayhi salatu wasalam kanatah tahta abdaini min ibadina salihain fakhanatahuma that they were in the wedlock of these very pious servants of ours but they were disloyal to them this was the specific aspect that brought their destruction their disloyalty to the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala now what was the nature of this disloyalty we will inshallah discuss this now and this is the lesson that we have to take of how dangerous this disloyalty is and especially in the context of what we are discussing that kind of disloyalty where it leads a person to. And then Ayyub wasalam, his wife Allah Ta'ala mentioned something which was given to Ayyub wasalam, to provide a solution to a major issue and that was brought about, given to him to save his wife from a difficulty. Why? Because she had been very loyal to him. She had been extremely loyal and how loyal we will understand just now in the light of the discussion. So this is the primary lesson, the danger and the harm of disloyalty and what a great value and asset loyalty is, how disloyalty destroys a person, how loyalty takes a person forward in life. Obviously in all this, the primary loyalty is to Allah Ta'ala. There is no relationship that can be given preference over the relationship with Allah Ta'ala. That He is our Khaliq, He is our Creator, our Sustainer, our Nourisher. So anything that will come in the way of this relationship, that way we become the true servants of Allah Ta'ala, we become His true slaves, we be totally obedient to Him. Anything that will disrupt this relationship, that cannot be given preference. That will then be put aside. It might be somebody we might have to respect, we will respectfully put them aside. 
We will not be disrespectful, but we will not allow anything to come in the way of the relationship with Allah Ta'ala. But as long as something is within that limit and boundaries of the maintaining of the relationship with Allah Ta'ala, then one of the very, very important aspects is loyalty. Loyalty, parents look for loyalty from their children. Sometimes it will be heard, these kind of comments and remarks will be heard. That this child, I did so much for him, did so much for her. And now after all this, so many ages we've looked after them. Now, sometimes people, Allah forbid, and these are very tragic realities of life. People uh, then are brought to actually, this, these kind of words come on their tongue. That this child then stabbed me in the back. Obviously, figuratively speaking, stabbed me in the back in the manner of which the treatment of the child now to the parent, etc. So that becomes extremely painful for that parent. More painful than ten times worse from a stranger. That a person who was a stranger maybe uh, did something which was ten times worse, hundred times worse also. That person might have really hurt those parents in some other way. But that pain is relatively much lesser than the pain of somebody very close being disloyal. And here, this was a similar situation. A person expects the loyalty from a spouse. That disloyalty from the spouse is very painful, very hurtful. Because that bond is meant to be very close. And to the extent that there is supposed to be and should be a close bond, or is a close bond, to that extent any kind of negativity is more painful and hurtful compared to a stranger. Nevertheless, coming to the wife of Lut before getting to some basic lessons that we have to learn from this incident, just to go in a little bit of a background of Lut himself. He was among the great Anbiya of Allah He was the nephew of Hazrat Ibrahim and Allah Ta'ala had sent him for the hidayat, for the guidance and for the direction of a community, a nation who were living in a certain place. And unfortunately, these people were steeped like many other nations in various vices. But this community, this nation was steeped in a vice which nobody before them had ever fallen into such a vice, which the Qur'an Sharif speaks about very, very openly and clearly, that Allah Ta'ala mentions us in the Qur'an Sharif, that, Are you involving yourself in such an indecency, which nobody ever had indulged in, ever in the history of mankind? Now, they were the ones who started off such a kind of indecent lifestyle, and the end result of this was the destruction that came upon them. Now, there's many, many details in this regard in the Qur'an Sharif, in the Ahadith of Rasulullah Obviously, this is a very sensitive topic, but this much should is necessary for us to understand that there is a concerted effort to try and corrupt the society. It's happening at every level of society. It's happening in schools, and because of the way the syllabuses are designed, that is now become part of syllabus, then because now they might be, this is not necessarily everywhere, but there are some Muslim schools in some parts of the country who have now 
got the syllabus, they say, well, what can we do? We have the syllabus. Maybe we'll just brush over it. But these things come part of that syllabus. Now, in a Muslim school, a child is taught that he must not be, and this is the actual word that is used there, he must not be homophobic. In simple terms, people who are living this terribly disgusting lifestyle and living in this most disgusting filth, they shouldn't be regarded as anything serious, nothing to be regarded as a problem, nauzubillah. And, well, that's their choice. These are the words that with which it gets brushed off. It's people's choice. It's their orientation. And all kinds of things that are said to just uh, brush aside a terrible evil. Now, this is happening in schools. It's happening in many, many places. That This is the kind of uh, agenda that is being pushed. And as a result, the scourge is becoming a major problem in many parts of society. This much is sufficient for us now to understand that we have to be very alert about this. We have to be very, very conscious and be aware that these are realities of the society. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. Those who are dealing with social cases, they will give us some very frightening stories which we obviously don't need to go into and cannot go into now. But this much suffices that it's necessary now to alert one and all. It's necessary to make us conscious that we cannot take these things for granted anymore. There was a time when parents could be relaxed. They could be at ease. That time is gone. It's no more the time to be casual about things. No more the time to take things for granted. Now we have to be very conscious, very alert, and taking the necessary steps to protect ourselves, protect our families, our progeny. May Allah wa ta'ala keep all safe from all kinds of vices and evil. Nevertheless, just to go further into this aspect a little and take some lessons from the ayat of the Quran Sharif and what happened. When Lut advised his people, when he gave them the commands of Allah wa ta'ala, but what was the response? The response first was, they threatened him. If you don't stop all your stories and your preaching to us and telling us what not to do and so on, we will expel you from this place. The first response was threats to him. Then they went even one step beyond that, started challenging Allah Ta'ala, that you are talking about all this azab that will come and you are making all these frightening stories for us. If you are truthful about this, then bring the azab, why are you wasting time now? Bring it, let us see what azab you are talking about. Now this is the lessons for us to take. Sometimes these people also were now very irritated with Lut that he is coming and na'uzubillah spoiling our fun. So we can't carry on tolerating him. If he continues like this, we must throw him out. We must ostracize him. We must expel him from our place, from our cities. And uh, then we start, then it goes to the point of even challenging the azab of Allah wa ta'ala. We sometimes do similar things. If somebody is advising us, maybe it might be a wedding that is being now planned. So there are certain things that are now being planned which are incorrect. They are sinful things and unfortunately 
every now and again one hears about some other function that has taken place, things that we never heard of previously get mentioned now that this is what happened and that is what happened. So when somebody starts advising, somebody might be within the family, it might be somebody, and many instances there have been many, many occasions where that girl to get married, she herself is writing, or that boy to get married, he is asking for advice. My parents are planning all these things, I want my nikah to be done in a sunnah manner, I don't want it to be tainted with all this sin and vice, but as soon as I start saying something, and I am already shut down. Now, how much different is this, what our response is, when somebody is trying to advise us, it might be our own children, compared to this type of reaction of the people of Ruth to the Nabi of Allah Taala. Obviously, this response to a Nabi of Allah Taala makes it so much more, million times more serious, but the essential response is the same. And what a, what a serious thing this is, that we imitate the response of nations that were destroyed because of their vice. So the principal aspect was that they were not prepared to listen, let alone not listen, that you don't come and spoil our party here, you don't come and become an obstacle in our fun and enjoyment, and this intoxication of entertainment, this intoxication of just uh, fulfilling desires, that overcame them to a point where they were not prepared to listen to anybody, not even to the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. The same scourge unfortunately overcomes us where because of what we have planned to do, what kind of function we want to have, or where we want to go, despite it being a very sinful venue, where that holiday we are now planning for, whatever else, but did anybody come in the way of it, that you are now trying to spoil our fun. You are, now sometimes some girl writes to say that, Alhamdulillah, I have decided to now adopt the niqab, I have decided to avoid any kind of intermingling, but now the whole family is going for a holiday, and how do I now stay away from this? Because I'm being forced to go along, and I don't want to go, and I don't want to be part of all this kind of uh, activities, and this kind of holidaying, and etc., in, in sinful places, places where the whole environment is permeating with sin, a person says, well, no, I'm not involved in all that. I'm just going there. But does it work like that? It doesn't work like that. We cannot be a passive participant either. So this is the one aspect that was the issue here, that they were uh, not prepared to listen, and this brought about the end result that we will hear about just now. In any case, when this continued, eventually, Lut wasalam, he very openly said to them, قَالَ إِنِّي لِعَمَلِكُمْ مِنَ الْقَالِينَ this is a very, very important lesson in this ayat, and there's basically two very important points and lesson in there. He openly said to them, Inni li amalikum minal qaleen, that I detest your actions. Your action is not something that I can just brush it aside, I detest it. One message here and one lesson here is, he said, Inni li amalikum, that your actions I detest. We should not look down upon any individual or person because we don't know the end result somebody might make sincere toba and they might surpass us to a point where we cannot even imagine Allah forbid we look down upon others as a result of our pride we don't know where we can fall but the action cannot be condoned the action cannot be minimized and trivialized we cannot make excuses for the action 
these are two separate issues. We will not look down upon the sinner. But we cannot minimize the severity of the sin. That is a terrible thing. The sin is disgusting. And therefore, Luther Islam openly said it, that I detest your sin. He did not just be a passive person in this regard. He was a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. It was his responsibility. He was open about it. Now this is the one lesson that we will not look down upon anybody. We will not think of ourselves as better than anyone because we don't have any idea of what the end result is. Only that person can be happy about his own condition and feel very secure when he has got his book of deeds in his right hand on the day of Qiyamah and he's got his ticket to Jannah. Other than that, till that point in time, we got no basis to make any kind of decision about ourselves or about anybody else. We don't know tomorrow what tomorrow brings and that person might make such a toba, where the toba might take him and where we could end up falling, Allah protect us and save us. But the second part of it is also at the same time that it is necessary to be, to be clear about the wrong, that the wrong is wrong. Now this will depend if it's the parent. The parent can't now just keep quiet about it and say, well, okay, it's not too serious. If it's serious, it's serious. If it's very serious, it's very serious. We can't play it down. If it is somebody that's not under our jurisdiction, under our authority, perhaps you might not be able to say much to that person, but we can't play it down and say, no, this is not a very serious thing. It's fine. Now, Billah, it's not fine. So it might be any vice for that matter. Depending on what the severity of the advice is, we're going to have to be clear about it. So this what is now being done in the schools, etc. and how things are being played down. This is a very dangerous trend. It goes against the teaching of the Quran Sharif. It has become like a hate crime. You can be arrested for it if you talk about it. But we cannot allow our children, ourselves to become desensitized. This is a specific, this is something that happens in a very uh, concerted manner. There is a, a ploy that is out there to desensitize people towards evil. So the sensitivity is gone. People become very comfortable with it. If a person is not involved in it too, he says, well, it's every individual's choice how he decides to live and what he decides to do. It's not the case of any individual's choice. It is the choice Allah Ta'ala has made for us. And what Allah Ta'ala has declared permissible for us is permissible. What Allah Ta'ala has declared haram and Allah Ta'ala has declared an abomination that is haram, that is totally impermissible, that is something that cannot be minimized in any way. So, there cannot be that kind of desensitization that we can allow ourselves to fall into. This is a whole, uh, a very planned out, very well planned out and orchestrated effort to how to desensitize. People get paid to do this. They need to get something going in the community. So now they'll get somebody who might have some kind of position somewhere. He might be maybe a radio personality. He might be somebody in the media somewhere. So he's got a very wide uh, audience and following. The person will quietly get paid a massive sum to now come out and say something on the radio, on that media, whatever it might be. And to make it sound, well, this is my life and this is how I live and whatever. Now, when that, that's, this is a planned thing. They call it, there's a five-step plan. First is the shocker. And after the shocker comes the outrage. Now, this person comes and drops that bombshell. Everybody is now in a, up in arms and how can this person ever speak this? But that person, he knows what he's doing. He didn't just say it just because he was feeling now I need to say something. 
He's being paid to say it. So now when he says it, and now people are in a shock, and people are up in arms, and now they will start uh, criticizing, and somebody will start saying something, he will come back on air and defend himself. He knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. And the plan is now that this, this must carry on, this discussion must carry on. Why? Because constant exposure, first there will be outrage, then slowly that outrage will turn to just debate. And then somebody will say, well, look, you can't really get, you know, get into other people's lives. What somebody else is doing is their business, we have to live our life. Now that starts coming to the point of acceptance. And then from the point of acceptance, then comes the veneration, they call it. Where now one big time celebrity, so-called celebrity, who also will be paid, he will so-called come out to say, this is my lifestyle. Now people will look at him as a hero. Astaghfirullah, from what to what? And a person gets sort of praised and hero worshipped for the worst kind of filth that he's involved in. But this was by means of a plan. In the meantime, the whole community got desensitized to it. And it just becomes like a part of, well, one of the things in life. Now, this happens in so many things. It happens not just in one thing. It happens in, for example, dressing. Dressing didn't become what it is today just like that. If a person sits down today and talks to their grandmother, and 99% of the time, it will be worlds apart. That grandmother who, what do you call grew up and passed her teens maybe 35-40 years ago and was already a grown-up person 35-40 years ago. In comparison, the dressings have gone worlds apart. Now, one possibility is that maybe that grandmother and all the grandmothers of that time, they all totally outdated, out of fashion, had no sense of fashion and no sense of any kind of nothing. They, they were not, they had no thinking in fact. That's what it comes down to. And we are very up-to-date but is it really that or is it that we are deceived? Now this five point plan, that shocker and then the outrage and then the debate and then the acceptance, in fact six points the veneration comes in the end. This is how all these things were changed and this is the art of deception. Deception is where something evil is made to look good and something good is made to look evil. That is the end point of the deception. So now if one turns the page backwards, 35 years ago, 40 years ago, perhaps even a modern household also, that modern household also, that girl couldn't wear jeans. It was not thought of. It wasn't just, it just didn't occur to anybody as a possibility. 35, 40, maybe some odd situation, but this was a general uh, situation across 40, 45 years definitely. That was unthinkable, though it was already in Western society. It was already elsewhere. But in the Muslim community, a girl wearing jeans and a t-shirt maybe with that and walking around, unimaginable. But today somebody says this is unimaginable, say which world you're living in. This is the norm. This has become the trend. Now, were they out of touch with reality or did we get deceived? We very much got deceived. The reality is we are in the deception. Now, this is something to be conscious about, how this happens, and it happens generally through the media. There is something called a principle of constant exposure. When a person is constantly exposed to something, first he will hate it, he will be shocked about it, then the constant exposure starts breaking down that feeling. 
And in time, it turns to acceptance. That clothing, that dressing, that style, that manner of having one's wedding. You saw about it, somebody else, first time had something like that. They had dancing in their wedding. La hawla wa la illa billah. And people will be all up in arms. That how did they ever do such a thing? And the first time when we heard about something, everybody was talking like that. Then you hear every other wedding, Allah forbid, is like that now. So now that exposure, then it starts becoming just accepted. So we have to be very conscious about it. What our children are reading, what they are looking at, what they are hearing about, all these things are part of that constant exposure. And when a person keeps getting exposed to something repeatedly, in time this starts become, becoming acceptable and the person's life starts turning and moving in that direction. In any case, the, just to summarize the incident thereafter, Salam, eventually the nation of Salam came to the peak of things of their sin and vice. Allah Ta'ala sent down the angels, Salam, Mikael, Salam, Israfil, Salam. they came in the form of humans, handsome young lads. But eventually, just to summarize the whole thing, first when these people came to try and uh, do some harm, Salam, with the tip of one wing caused them to get blind, smacked on their faces, they were smitten, and they all went blind. By that day, they somehow made their way home. By that evening, he picked up that whole, all those seven cities on the tip of one wing, took it right up to the skies, turned it upside down, and flung it with force from there. That became the lowest point on earth. The Dead Sea is this Ibrad. People unfortunately go there for sightseeing and touring and merrymaking, whereas this is something which is an Ibrad, it's an Azab, a place of Azab. And Nabi Wasallam has forbidden that a person goes to a place of Azab except out of necessity that he has to pass through and when he passes through, he must be passing through crying. لَا تَدْخُلُوا بَسَاكِنَ الَّذِينَ وَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ إِلَّا أَن تَكُونُوا بَاكِينَ Nabi Wasallam says, don't go past the places of those who have committed the zulm upon them except that you are crying out of fear that the same Azab doesn't come upon you. So, this is how they were destroyed. But in this, Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran Sharif that Ruth Alayhi was given the instruction that you must leave now, late this night, in this night you must leave. Don't wait till the morning. Because in the morning, by the time the morning comes, the azab is going to fall on these people. So, فَأَسْرِ بِأَهْلِكَ بِقِطْعٍ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ وَاتَّبِعْ أَدْبَارَهُمْ وَلَا يَلْتَفِتْ مِنْكُمْ أَحَدُ وَمْدُوا حَيْثُ تُؤْمَرُونَ Allah Ta'ala says in the portion of the night, you leave with your family. And nobody must turn back to see what's going on now. If this azab is going to come, don't feel anything about it. You move on. Move in the direction that you have been commanded. So all of them went. And in the ayat of the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala says, إِلَّا عَجُوزًا فِي الْغَابِرِينَ One old lady got left among those who got left behind. And she got destroyed. According to some Mufassirin, it was the wife of Lut who is referred to here that she, because of her disloyalty, now what was her disloyalty? Her disloyalty was, one, she didn't bring Iman on Lut Allah Ta'ala and Lut being the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. So the Shariat didn't demand that she should be divorced. So she was still maintained in the household. But this was the height of the disloyalty. The disloyalty of getting directly involved in vice was not possible from a wife of a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. But this happened. This was the disloyalty. Allah Ta'ala says that they were disloyal. 
the wives of Nuh and Lut The disloyalty was this, not accepting the word of Allah Ta'ala that their own husband, the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala brought to them. They did not cooperate in that mission of the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. This was the disloyalty. Rather, they acted against it. Acted against it how? The wife of Luther, she used to conspire with the people to give them information of the vice that they may be able to commit somewhere. Now, this was a terrible thing, obviously. Though she was not actively involved, but she used to give this kind of information out. When the angels came to Luther's place, she gave that information thinking these to be humans. So, this was a terrible disloyalty. So, the primary disloyalty is the lack of cooperation in moving together in deen, in assisting in fulfilling the mission of deen. Now, they went on the opposite end. This was the disloyalty that Allah Ta'ala referred to. And this disloyalty brought about their destruction. And in this ayat of the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala says, Illa ajuzan fil ghabirin. She took what left behind. According to some narrations, she also left with the family of Lut Ali Salatu Wasalam. But as they were now walking away, and they were out of the cities, the azab finally came. One is that these entire communities, their places, the cities were taken up to the skies and turned upside down and flung onto the ground. Then together with that, stones were rained upon them. And each stone, whoever it was meant for, that person's name was also written on it. When this azab came, the wife of Luther turned around and she looked, which she was not supposed to have done. And she expressed sympathy for the community now, upon whom the azab came. When as soon as she did this, one stone came and hit her as well, and this azab took over her as well. Now, expressing sympathy upon somebody who's already died on kufr, that is something not permissible for us. While a person is alive, yes, we have to make dua for the hidayat, we will do what we can in terms of effort for hidayat. But the person has gone on kufr, that door is closed now. Even Nabi Wasallam was not allowed to make istighfar for those who have already gone on kufr and shirk. So therefore, she also became entangled in the azab and that became the end of her in this dunya. What is in the akhirat? Obviously, that is another whole chapter itself, which is the most serious part of it, that those who uh, do not uh, conform to the commands of Allah wa ta'ala, and they do not conform to the Nabi of Allah wa ta'ala, this is the end result. The other very important lesson in this we get is, she was a wife of the Nabi of Allah ta'ala. But this was her end result because of her disloyalty, because of her disbelief. The lesson we learn here is, a person might be in the household, or there might be some very pious person, some pious grandparent, grandmother, grandfather, there might be some pious spouse, it might be the husband, might be the wife, whoever it might be, one pious person being around, few pious people being around, doesn't become a guarantee that everybody is all done now. Nobody else has to worry about anything about themselves. Being the wife of a Nabi also required that she should have been doing what her what is necessary for her. The son of Nuhalisalam didn't conform, he also got destroyed. So the piety of some person is not gonna help somebody else if they are off the track completely. 
Yes, if a person finally left on Iman, perhaps somebody might make shafat on his behalf. But the danger is a person leaves this dunya without Iman also, then everything is lost forever. Then anybody's piety is not going to help somebody in the hereafter. So this was the summary of the incident of Hazrat Salam and his wife. But now to just move on to the other personality who we mentioned earlier, the wife of Ayyub Ali Salatu Wasalam. Ayyub Ali Salatu Wasalam, he was the grandson of Lut Ali Salatu Wasalam. And he was also among the very prominent Ambiya Ali Salatu Wasalam. Initially, Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with tremendous amount of uh, possessions as well, a lot of crops, animals, and as far as his family was concerned, Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with many children, abundant children. So, mashallah, everything was going very well. And then the test of Allah Ta'ala came. The test of Allah Ta'ala came that first, all his belongings just started getting destroyed. All his crops and lands and his animals, etc. And then his children started passing away. He had a big family. One after the other, the children all passed away. Not one child survived. Then on top of that, an illness overcame him. His entire body was now covered in this illness. Only his tongue and his heart was unaffected. Everything else was affected. And further, the entire community now abandoned him. And in the midst of all these challenges, Ayyub still remained forever in the praise of Allah Taala. And whenever each test, as the various tests were now unfolding, first one thing was getting lost, and then the next, and then the next, and then the children passing away, each time something happened, Ayyub what was on his tongue all the time, Allahumma anta akhazta wa anta a'ataita. Allah, you have taken, you yourself had given, you had given, now you have taken, and then you would further say, Mahma tubqi nafsi, ahmaduka ala husni balaik. Allah, as long as you keep me alive, I will continue to praise you upon all your bounties. Now, every time something is happening, there is some loss, there is some difficulty, some challenge, there is some calamity, there is something or the other happening, and every time this is his response, Allah, you gave, you are taking. And Ya Allah, as long as you keep me alive, I will only be engaged in your hamd. I will only be engaged in praising you. This is the real antidote to all the kinds of grief that we unfortunately sometimes face. The grief in terms of depression, etc. The antidote of that is shukr. To the extent that a person is genuinely immersed in shukr, the heart is deep down it's because for every one difficulty that a person faces, one loss that a person faces, there's one million and one bounties of Allah Ta'ala that we are enjoying. And one million and one is just an expression. There are countless bounties of Allah Ta'ala at every moment that we are benefiting from. But insan is such that if from head to toe we are in afiyat, but just the toe only is in pain, we will forget all the afiyat that we are enjoying from head right up to the toe. We will only complain about the toe that is in pain. We will forget about the shukar first. Yes, the toe might require some attention. It might require some kind of treatment, whatever. But first make shukar from head to toe. Allah Ta'ala has kept me with afiyat. Then make dua for afiyat in the toe as well. So, this is insan's situation, unfortunately, that we 
are so steeped into complaining that we forget sugar entirely. And as a result of having forgotten sugar, a difficulty is a difficulty, a pain is a pain, whatever discomfort will be discomfort, and insan is insan. So we're going to feel emotion, we're going to feel pain. But because of the mindset being negative, and because of the heart being devoid of sugar, that pain be- is felt much more. When a person is deeply grateful to Allah Ta'ala for all his bounties, this becomes like a balm on all those difficulties and those challenges. The pain is this little, but it is like anesthetic over that pain. Now a person who is very, very, uh, he got hurt, maybe somebody has got very severely injured, a person is in severe pain. So now the next thing, the doctor or paramedic, somebody comes on scene, and they give the person a some kind of injection, whatever injection it might be, Voltaren or some other things. Or the person after one minute, suddenly the injection has now taken uh, effect. A person is now relaxed. He says, no, I'm fine now. He can start talking now. Just now he was battling to even breathe. Now he's fine. Has anything changed in his condition? Nothing has changed in his condition. He's still just as badly injured. And if the wounds are just as fresh. But he's relaxed. What happened? Something has masked the pain. Otherwise the wound is still the wound. But something has masked the pain. The same thing is the case with our emotional self. If we keep a very positive heart and mind. And the positivity is in the case of sugar. In the, in the manner of sugar. For all the innumerable bounties of Allah Ta'ala. We'll still be in, we are in San, We'll still feel pain. We'll feel emotion. We feel all the kinds of things other humans feel. But it will be there, but it will be masked with this sugar. The sugar will be the balm over it. This is the antidote to the depression, to the various other emotions, that a person immerses oneself in sugar and keeps in reality making sugar to Allah Ta'ala and the sugar will bring one, inshallah, out of these kind of difficulties as well. In any case, as far as the incident of Ayyubani Salatu Salam is concerned. As these things were happening, all the people abandoned him in one corner of the town. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. They were now thinking, we come close to this person, we might catch the same uh, illness. Some say it was leprosy, some say it wasn't leprosy, it was something else. But nevertheless, they all abandoned him. The only person that stood by him was his wife. She would come and take care of him, attend to him, see to his needs. And this went on and went on for how long? Now, this is also something that is really a remarkable side of it, that uh, one day his wife said to him, that why don't you make dua at least to Allah Ta'ala to remove this calamity, to remove this hardship. Now there was no problem in making dua. Dua is something to be made, and we should make dua, we must make dua. We must make dua, Allah Ta'ala for afiyat, we should never ever ask for difficulties, never ask for challenges, don't show our bravery, we are not of that caliber that we can take on any challenge. Yes, Allah Ta'ala, if out of his hikmat has put some kind of condition upon us, some challenge, we will still make dua for that challenge to be uplifted, for that difficulty, for that hardship to be eased, but we will make sabr upon it, we won't complain. Without complaining, we'll make dua still. We'll ask Allah Ta'ala's help. We'll make whatever efforts are possible to alleviate the situation. But in our hearts, we will be submitting to Allah Ta'ala. Ya Allah, it's your will. And we wholeheartedly submit to your will without complaint. 
But we are weak. Ya Allah, you uplift this difficulty from us. You change this difficulty. With, this is a ni'mat also. You change this ni'mat with the ni'mat of ease. You change this ni'mat of illness with the ni'mat of sihat. You change this ni'mat of poverty with the ni'mat of uh, prosperity. Both are tests from Allah Ta'ala. Ya Allah, you give us that which is an easy way for us. So nevertheless, we should never ever ask for difficulties and hardships and challenges. We should always ask for afiyat. But if some situation comes up, then a person makes sabr and turns to Allah Ta'ala. But Ayyuli Salatu Salam was on a very high level. He was a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. So his wife only said to him that, why don't you make dua? Ask Allah Ta'ala to remove this difficulty. He replied and said, I'm feeling shy that for so long Allah Ta'ala blessed me with so many bounties and I had no difficulties, and still I'm enjoying so many bounties, how in the midst of all this can I ask now that remove this? It's like as if I'm complaining. And he expressed it in one, on one occasion, that 70 years I had no problem. So now it's not even 70 years yet with this difficulty. It was already many, many years. So not even 70 years of the difficulty, and I'm already going to start asking Allah to take it away. In other words, I enjoyed 70 years of ease and comfort. I'm feeling embarrassed now to say that so quickly I'm already now getting impatient. So in any case, this was the extent of his sabr. And in the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala mentions this, that in the Ni'mal uh, Abd, that he was a very, very excellent servant of Allah Ta'ala. Uh, he was a person who was sabira, Ni'mal Abd, most patient, and an excellent servant of Allah Ta'ala. Innahu awab. He would constantly turn to Allah Ta'ala alone. So this is the lesson that we get from his life. Any case, his wife continued to attend to him, to see to his needs, etc. On this note, one aspect happened once, that two people who were coming just to see him, they were coming on the way to visit him. Just out of the blue, they decided, let's visit him. But on the way now, they are talking to themselves. Uh, among themselves, one person said to the other, this person, he might have done something seriously wrong to be in such a, such a situation. Everything went wrong for him. And now nobody wants to come close to him also. He must have been doing something seriously wrong. Any case, they came. He was a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. Where he's going to do anything wrong? So one person mentioned that this is the discussion we had. As we're coming, this person who is my companion here, he said that you must have done something seriously wrong. Ayyub Salaam replied that if I've done something wrong, then it is this, that I'm sometimes returning home, and on the way I pass by two people who are quarreling, and they are taking the name of Allah Ta'ala, taking qasams, now meaning that they are taking false qasams. So I come home, and then I pay the kafara on their behalf, that they took the name of Allah Ta'ala wrongfully. In other words, this is the way I have been conducting myself. Can this be something that is coming to me as an azab? My situation is this. He was a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala, he had to express it. And it is stated about him that he would never go to bed with a full stomach. Rather, he would always be looking at, there is somebody or the other who has had nothing to eat, so some portion of my food, I must give it away to that person. And he would always be passing on some portion of his food to somebody else. And as a result, he would never have gone to bed on a full stomach. Now, this was his qualities. Now, despite being so close to Allah Ta'ala, but this was a test. And in one hadith, Nabi Salaam was asked about the calamities or whatever, that one Sahabi asked Nabi Salaam, Man ashaddun nasi bala'an, 
who are the people who get tested the most? Nabi Salaam said, An-Nabiyun, the Anbiya of Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. Summal Amsal, Fal Amsal, then those who are closest to them in emulating them. And thereafter, those who are next in rank, who are closest to the Anbiya Ali Musallatu Wasallam, they get tested the most. But these tests come, the hikmat of Allah Ta'ala is beyond our comprehension. We need to submit to Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. In one hadith, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that a person, in al-abda iza sabaqat lahu min Allahi manzilatan lam yablughha bi'amali. Sometimes, there is a person who Allah Ta'ala has decreed a certain rank for him. But he is not able to now meet and fulfill the criteria to reach that rank with his amal. Allah Ta'ala wants to give him a very elevated position in the akhirat. And by means of his amal, his amal are so weak, etc., he's not getting there. Allah Ta'ala brings about some test upon him. Then, Allah Ta'ala grants him the sabr on that, action, on that issue. And as a result of the sabr, he reaches that rank, which he could not reach by means of his amal. So again, we should not be asking for any kind of calamity. We should not be asking for tests and trials. But if something happens, we should be bringing this very strongly to heart and mind, that these are from the hikmat and the wisdom of Allah Ta'ala, we should make sabr, make dua, do whatever is in our capacity to ease the situation, but we should not complain against Allah Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. Our hearts should be at ease and at peace with the decree of Allah Ta'ala. Nevertheless, Ayyubali Salatu Wasalam, once his wife, Shaitan appeared in front of her in the guise of a doctor. So now she saw this is a doctor, so she immediately, her concern was about her husband, that my husband is in this condition from such a long time, so many years, decades have passed. Do you have any treatment for him? Do you have any remedy and cure? He said, yes, I have a remedy and cure. But the condition is just one condition. The condition and the uh, precondition for this treatment to work is that he must say these words. That after I treat him, he must say these words, you have cured me. Now in that moment of uh, concern for Ayyubali Salatu Wasalam, his wife came running and she mentioned that this doctor, I asked whether there is any kind of remedy for you. He said, yes, there is a remedy. All you have to do is say this much. Ayyubali Salam immediately recognized that this was shaitan. This was no doctor. But the fact that his wife somehow got slightly overcome by this, got influenced to a point, he got extremely annoyed. He became very angry about this. And he took a vow and a qasam that he will lash her a hundred times. In any case, then he made dua to Allah Ta'ala that must in the shaitanu wa Ya Allah, the shaitan has now come and he has afflicted me with distress and suffering. The distress and suffering shaitan afflicted him was this. That he tried to influence his wife. This is what he's referring to. Now he made dua, Ya Allah, you remove this difficulty from me. After this situation came up, Allah Ta'ala then gave him the cure. Allah Ta'ala told him, strike with your foot where you are and you'll see this water springing out and uses water to bath yourself and drink this water. This will be your remedy. Any case, this is what he did. And miraculously, this Mawjiza Allah Ta'ala granted him this water he drank and he took a bath with it and he was completely cured from all those ailments and everything. Then, the issue came that the vow he had taken that he's going to lash his wife a hundred lashes because of now having even considered the suggestion of shaitan, Allah Ta'ala gave him the way out. 
On the one hand, you've taken the name of Allah Ta'ala, you cannot break the vow. So don't break it. But for him, Allah Ta'ala gave a confession that you take a bundle of straw, grass, hundred blades of grass in it, and you give a one shot with it. Now that grass is not going to hurt, and one shot, hundred done. Why was this? Allah Ta'ala brought a way out for her. Because Islam would have, now he took a vow, this was due to her loyalty. Already in dunya, Allah Ta'ala is giving her the way out of a situation. So, when a person is loyal to Allah Ta'ala and loyal to those who are within the limits of the deen of Allah Ta'ala, then Allah Ta'ala brings out, brings solutions to them from difficulties which cannot be thought of. Those solutions can't be imagined. Allah Ta'ala brings out a solution from way, from situations that a person can't imagine. But this is that lesson that she was, mashallah, very loyal. Allah Ta'ala then blessed her and we are today taking her name in this manner with respect. This is the lesson that we have to keep in mind. Allah Ta'ala loves this loyalty. Obviously, this loyalty is primarily within the limits of the loyalty to Allah Ta'ala. And this disloyalty, especially when now this is transgressing the laws of deen, becoming an obstacle in the mission of deen, etc. This is something Allah Ta'ala detests. And this brings about calamities and difficulties in dunya already and becomes a great burden for a person on the day of Qiyamat. May Allah wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq that we absorb these lessons in our lives, we live by these lessons and also to bear in mind what was discussed initially that we as parents especially cannot afford to be lax anymore. We have to give the due time to our children, be with them, give them the attention that is required, be very happy and very jovial and keep a very pleasant atmosphere for them at home, but be very alert. Be very alert and conscious that what our children are learning in schools, what they are reading, what they are watching, whatever their uh, activities are, and in this way we will give them the asset of progress in life, in dunya also, and the success of the hereafter, inshallah. May Allah ta'ala accept one and all. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَانَا الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله ربنا غلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير وجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين وجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم تجابت عن أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اهدنا واهد بنا وجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى اللهم اهد الناس جميعا اللهم اهد الناس جميعا اللهم اهد الناس جميعا اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ 
ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه اجمعين والحمد لله رب